Hey, more and more, I just appreciate the different kinds of artists that God has given to the body and gifts, you know, whether it's spoken word or whether it's music. But what a, what a great summary of our approach to Christmas that we've been taking this year. Here's this God who, who came for us. Where, as we said, every other religion, we're trying to get to God and we're trying to work our way to him. We're trying to figure out what we've got to do to please him, what we've got to do to pay off what we've done wrong. Only in biblical Christianity has God come for us, and only in biblical Christianity does he see, see us as that valuable and not, not worth punishing, or be, but being so motivated so that we could have life. That's what we've been looking at these weeks. First week, we looked at that, that God just saw us in darkness in the sense that we didn't have his presence in our life, we didn't have knowledge of him in our life, and and he shows up as the light of the world. And then last week we were looking at, here's this holy God who's righteous and just in everything he does, who just comes for us, even, even though we spent our life alienating him. He's come for us to, to rescue us from that. And this morning I just want to look for a sense that, that his coming as this gift, as this very intentional gift. I want you to think of maybe the most meaningful gift you ever got. We could, you know, we talk about salvation, but in your personal relationships, the most meaningful gift you've ever gotten. Might not have been the most expensive gift you've ever gotten, but just the one that you got from someone and they had this sense, I can't believe you got this for me, or this is so special, or some gifts, depending on the relationship, you get the gift and you think, man, you really get me. You get me. If you got me this, you understand me. I remember one year, my brothers and I, we all got this, this gift that my sister-in-law and uh, my mom had put together. It was just a, I don't know what you call it, just kind of a storybook. It was a, more than a photo album. But my sister-in-law, Sherry, had sat down with my mom and kind of drawn out of my mom her story and my dad's story and put it together in this, in this book with their story and our grandparents' stories. It was just so, such an incredibly special gift to us and we were just going through that I mean my Nana lived with us for a while she was so special to me and there was her story and some of her pictures my grandfather and my my Nana and my grandfather both died when I was in fourth grade so I I didn't have the privilege so many of you have having grandparents way into your 20s and 30s but to just have that stirred up again how special she was to me As as an aside at one point my grandmother my mom told me that I was my Nana's favorite because my brother was my grandparent, my grandpa, my grandma's favorite. And that was a good trade. I'd much rather have my nana's. I'd rather have her heart than my other parents' heart. So there was that extra special thing with nana. Plus she lived with us, which was also, for me, it was great. As an adult, I understand that it was probably pretty challenging for my, for my folks. So here's this book, almost like this book of life. It just kind of came to life and it's this gift. You get those gifts sometimes, you're just enjoying it. You just want to go through it. And they say, somebody says to you, okay, we're not, we're not going to read the whole thing now. We, want, we, need, we have other gifts you need to get to. But it's such a special gift. You just want to kind of stay in the moment. I hope you've had a, we've had a gift like that. You know, Max is saying he's got more shopping to do. My mom was a Christmas Eve shopper and then a Christmas Day sleeper. Uh, because she would stay up till two or three wrapping, and so we're opening gifts, and we've got to wake her up to tell her thank you, you know. So some of you are, are backed up that way. Some of you, you've already shopped totally. All your shopping is done. Let's see you. All your shopping is done. Okay. Hey, that's great. Some of you, shopping is done, and your wrapping is done. Yeah, we hate you. <laughs> we hate you. Yeah. Yeah, there's just something wrong with that. Yeah. Some of you, you're just so intentional. You, some of you, I'm not going to raise hands on this because I don't want to know that about you. Some of you, you have timelines. I'm going to be done. This is going to be done by this date. This is going to be done by this. I'm going to have this done by this. You're just so intentional about your gifts. And you know, you know the gifts, and you know exactly what you're going to give. You know, where the rest of us, the normal people, we're trying to think of gifts and think, man, what am I going to get them? What are they going to, you know, I could get them that. I got them that last year. In fact, I think I got it the year before, too. What do we get for them? But some of you, you're just so intentional about the gift. Man, God is incredibly intentional. And, and one of the things that, or the thing that I want you to see in the Christmas story today, kind of flows right out of that spoken word, that he chose this gift of Jesus 
on purpose. And he chose them. He chose him and he chose this because you matter so much to him. God, he's incredibly intentional. We know this verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That he gave, he did that on purpose. There's no sense in heaven where there, has anybody seen Jesus? Does anybody know where he went? There's this plan of I'm giving him to you. In fact, Revelation says, you know, he says that he was slain before the foundation of the world. That God laid out that the, he knew what would happen and so he knew what his response would be way back then. That he gave. But not only did he gave, look at the next verse says, God did not send his son into the world. That's an intentional, on purpose, I'm thinking about this, this is what I've decided to do word. I'm sending my son into the world, but not to condemn it, which is where so many people live and where so many of us lived that Jesus has come and I am in deep trouble. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Intentional. Or this verse we looked at last week in Romans 8. If he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's intentionality. He gave his son for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This gift that he has given to us. This gift that tells us that you matter to heaven. That you matter to heaven. That you are of value to heaven. You see that all through the Christmas story. I want you, I'd like you to turn with me to, to Luke chapter 1, which is where the, the Christmas story begins. It's about a year before Jesus is born in Luke 1. And you meet this man named Zechariah, who, who's a Jewish priest, and he's serving in the Jewish temple. And the way it went in those days, they would have different groups of priests that would serve in different different weeks and then they draw your number and if your number came up you got to actually serve in the temple and so Zechariah's number comes up he gets to serve in the temple he's at the altar of incense and he's keeping that thing burning and and while he's doing that everybody's outside in fact uh, if you heard Cottage Hill you heard Chantal say at the beginning that that one of the things that's part of our vision statement because it's part of our part of our DNA is prayer the New Testament starts in a prayer meeting. You ever know this? That in verse 10, the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. When God got ready to, to roll this plan and to tell Zechariah what was going to happen, he does that in a prayer meeting. We just pick up on that. Then the Holy Spirit comes in a prayer meeting and just those things that roll us out. So he, they're outside and he's inside. In verse 11 it says, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John who becomes John the baptizer as, as we know him. How valuable and how much does Zechariah matter? This angel shows up and he knows his name. Hello, Zechariah. You ever been in a situation where someone just says your name and you just, hey, uh, how do you know me? You know, how do you, oh, I know, I know about you. Father told me about me, about you. I've heard about you from this and in very positive situations. That just feels good. Or when, or when somebody really significant knows who you are. I mean, someone, so many of you who've been in the church a long time, you know my famous story about Howard Hendricks, who was this well-known Bible teacher of a generation ago and having had him in a class and just saying how much he loved all his students and being kind of cynical about that. And then I met him at a conference and, and as we were, we were walking behind him and I called his name and he turns around you know, I said, Dr. Hendricks. And I'm thinking, he doesn't know me. I just want to say hello. He turns around and goes, hello, Jeff. <laughs> I was completely dumbfounded. And I said to Cindy, you know, Howard Hendricks knows my name. <laughs> I mean, that was, the, that was the thing that just blew my mind. The God of heaven knows your name. Hello, Zechariah. I want you to see that a little later in the chapter because in verse 26, the angel Gabriel and goes to Mary's house, and he comes to her, and he gives her, he gives her the thing, you know, hey, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and she's, she's troubled at that saying, and she's trying to figure it out. In verse 30, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid, Mary. 
You know, when you're in Matthew 1, and the angel comes to Joseph, he's trying to figure out what to do. My fiance is pregnant. That doesn't look good for me. It doesn't look good for her. I care about her. I want to do the right thing, but I want to do the right thing the right way. And so he's wrestling that, and it says an angel came to him. And in Matthew 1, 20, it says, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Hello, Joseph. You know, amidst everything else that, that he has to say, he's saying to Joseph, heaven knows your name. Heaven knows who you are. Hello, Zechariah. Listen, this is what's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. Hello, Zechariah. We know about you. We've heard all those prayers you've been praying that you thought nobody heard. We've been hearing them. Your life situation, we know about that. The God of heaven knows your situation. God of heaven knows that you and your wife have wrestled and agonized your, your whole journey because she can't have a child, which, which in Israel was a huge deal. It was an honor. It was, only, it was a disgrace because when, when women that can't get pregnant in, in the scriptural times, when they get pregnant, a lot of times they'll say, <clears throat> excuse me, God, you've taken away my shame. You've taken away my disgrace. So we know you've, you've lived with that your whole life. We're aware of that in heaven. The God of heaven knows that, and he's come to tell you there's going to be a change. Zechariah. And then he comes to Mary, and he says, Mary, so we know, we know you've kept yourself pure. You've, you've tried to honor God with your whole life. That's going to change, but it's going to change in a good way. Joseph, we know your situation. We know you're excited about marrying this girl. We know she's a sweet girl. We know you're a good match. But listen, everything's changed, and you need to know we understand that. You need to know there's a plan behind that. You need to know that in heaven, the God of heaven knows all of this about you, that you matter. Think about that. You know, let that settle down on your own life. That it's not just because these three people played a role in the story, the Christmas story. It's because they're just reflecting what everyone in Scripture reflects, that people matter to God. What's going on in life matters to God. That right now, the God of heaven, he knows your name, he knows your middle name, and he knows how you got that name. He knows why you were named that name. You know, people that are my generation or a little bit older, especially a little bit older, know that in the 50s and the early 60s, there was an actor named Jeff Chandler. How many people did not know that? Yeah, well, there you go. See, here I am. I'm, I'm as gray as he was, yeah. Unfortunately, I think I've lived longer than he did already. Yeah, there was this actor. So, so when I was a teenager, I would get, you know, the, you know, the older cashiers, they would all say, Jeff Chandler. Were you, named after the, were you named after the TV star? I don't know. I don't know whether what it is. I asked my mom one time, it's, Mom, was I named after a movie star? She said, nope. <laughs> Couldn't have worded that a little differently, like maybe, you know, or something. The God of heaven, he knows your name. He knows how you got that name. And he knows every circumstance of your life. And he knows all of the what-ifs. Because that's what, that's what Joseph is wrestling with, isn't it? That what is, well, what if I marry her? Then that looks like we sinned and that reflects on me and then my carpentry business. Because those businesses, trades, then and now, that's all word of mouth, isn't it? And so if you're in a society where, you know, the right and wrong is really strong, so what do, what do I do then? And she's praying, do I marry her now? What do I, all of those things, heaven knows every variable of life. He, they, he knows that. He knows that about you. You're sitting here today and buying Christmas presents is the last thing on your mind. He knows that. He knows that. And he's got, a, he's got things woven together for you. Look at what he says about how, how significant people are and, and where, where people are. In Psalm 139, David's just, he's just wrestling with, with God's presence in his mind. In the early part of the psalm, he says, I, I can never get a ever get away from you that's a comforting thing to him you know if i go to the heavens you're there if i go to the depths of the sea you're there if i go to east to west you're there and then he goes to this place lord i praise you because i'm fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that well my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in the secret place and when i was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be 
See, before you're even born, you matter to God. You know, before you take in a breath, He had a plan for you. And in the, in the wonder of God, when you kept, you know, veering off what His plan was, He just, ate, he just, he just tweaked that plan and adapted it to what you, what you had done. What, maybe you did a good thing. It wasn't His will, but you did a good thing because you could look good in the moment. Or, or he just adapts to that. Or, or maybe you just veered out. You got tempted. You fell into it. He just, he went with that. That's the, that's the mystery of his will. He says to Jeremiah, the prophet, in the very beginning, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This isn't just King David and Jeremiah, the prophet. This is how God's heart is and his mind is to everyone. To everyone. Before you were even born, I knew you, and I had planned for you, and I, I made you this way. And I appreciated all the comments yesterday, December 21st, short people day. God just, that, he did that on purpose. He made some of you short. He made some of you tall. I used to resent so much my brother, my brother Jay, who's 6'3", didn't play basketball. I'm going through high school 5'9", playing basketball, getting stuffed all over the place because I'm 5'9". He's 6'3". And, and I remember talking about that when I was a new believer. You're just trying to figure out things that don't matter. Like, God, why, why would you do that, God? Why, why couldn't you have just swapped that? But he says, I, in the womb, I knew you. And I, and I was forming you the way that you would bring me glory. All of those things he knows. You know, as a side note, for, for us who just we take the Bible as God's word, these are the places we come to that make us pro-life because we believe, that, we believe the scriptures that even before a baby is born, it has value and significance to God and it's an intentional thing that's come to be. And so we need to honor it in that way. So yeah, it's not, not out of harshness and, and some, some of you women have walked through the pain of abortion and hey, God heals. As, as Pastor Ted was praying, God heals and God forgives and he takes away shame and all of those things. But this is where we have value to him. We matter to him. I, I came my life to Jesus when I was a teenager and I struggled with normal teenage stuff. You know, I struggled with insecurity. I struggled with what's going to go on in my future. I struggled on who am I going to be with? Is anybody going to want to be with me? All of those things. And my pastor, it seemed to me, he said this all the time. But then as an adult thinking about it, I thought, I wonder if he only said this a few times. It just resonated with me as a teenager so much. But Pastor Cardi, he used to say this, you are worth Jesus to God. That's how you need to think of yourself. That in God's estimation, you're worth Jesus. You are worth him sending Jesus for you. You, in, in heaven's mind, and remember we're saying God is a very intentional gift giver. So he weighed that out. We joke about, you know, we joke about how much do you spend on who, but put that aside and just take in the fact that you are worth Jesus to God. That's the Christmas story. You know, I know your name. I know your circumstances. I know what you need and what you need most of all, you need Jesus and you need what he can bring to your life and you need to get right in a relationship with God and Jesus can, Jesus can get you there. You're worth Jesus to God. And so he makes a value statement about you, that you matter and you are that valuable to heaven, that Jesus would come for you, that Jesus would die for you to pay for all of your sins, that Jesus would transform your life and make you into a new person and make all of your relationships new and give you hope and a future and use you in, in what his kingdom is doing, that God would, God would come for you and then think of this, that God would allow you to come to him. That's the value that he, that he stamps on you. That you can come into my presence. You can talk to me. When, when people start following Jesus, it's, it's not unusual for, for us to have conversations with them that I know I should pray. I just don't know how to pray. I just don't feel like I'm good at prayer. And, and all of you that, ha that talk to people about that, the answer to that is well, just talk. I mean, God is the one who formed you. He knows how you think. He knows how you put words together. He just loves to hear you talk your way. I mean, you've heard me tell the story up in at the church in Maine when we were there. It started out as a really traditional church that had the order of service that we did every week and everybody had it printed like a scorecard in the bulletin. 
We had one lady that would just check it off. If, you know, we did the opening song, check. Opening prayer, check. Next song, check. Uh, offering, check. Man, you know, God forbid that we ever did that out of order. Like we said, you know what, let's sing this song, and then we'll take the offering after. So we did that one week, and she raised her hand and goes, you're, you're out of order. You're, you know, it's like... I can't worship because it's not, you know, it's not going this way. So in, in that service, we had the pastoral prayer, you know, when the pastor prays. And uh, whenever I think of that, I'm going to think of, you know, remember our dear sister Jane Moison, who used to, she'd come up more to Pastor Ted than to me, but she'd come up to him and say, I need you to pray because the prayers of a pastor, she'd say it like that, and Pastor Ted would always say, are like anybody else's. It is like anybody else's. So something in me, we got the pastoral prayer. So I've, I'm doing the pastoral prayer, and I'm praying, and I want to do this right. My heart's right. But, you know, Lord, thou art so good, and thou art seated on the throne of heaven where thy kingdom is expanding out. And I'm, I'm praying because that's, that's just how it was modeled to me. So I said I'm praying. And all of a sudden, we, when we, the Holy Spirit just says to me, as I'm praying, you know how that works? Why are you talking like this? You never talk like this. <laughs> seriously and i'm just going on and we pray for thy servant you know who's in the hospital and i remember thinking i'm being serious i remember thinking can you talk to me about this later because i'm trying to pray seriously i'm just being honest with you but i did after service i thought yeah why do i pray like that i never talk like that cindy thou art the thou artest the best wife i have ever married you know she would check my temperature if I did that. So, you know, you say, oh, I don't feel like I pray right. He just, he wants you to pray the way he has wired you to pray. He loves to hear that. He loves to hear that. You know, we get to see our grandkids this week, you know, Xander and Lily and Luke and Bella. Luke and Bella are coming <laughs> up this afternoon. And so Luke and Bella FaceTimed me yesterday. Unfortunately, well, they FaceTimed Cindy, but unfortunately I had her phone. And unfortunately, Bruce and I were at Home Depot buying parts for a water heater. So I'm just, you know, hi guys, it's Bumpa, and I'm here with Mr. Bruce. And so I show him over Bruce. Bruce is looking for fitting, and then, hi guys, how are you? So I said, yeah, it's Bumpa. And all I get from Luke is, more Bruce? More Bruce? You know? <laughs> so, you know, Luke, he is just at that point of talking. He's just at a point where you can pretty much figure out what he's saying. But I'm not saying to him, why don't you try to say that right? You know, why don't you say, I'm Bumpa because nobody could say Grandpa? You know? No, I, I love, I love hearing that out of their lips. I love that little, I'm going to miss that phase when they can talk right. I'm going to miss those days. Can you, can you lateral that over to, that's how the Father feels about hearing new believers pray. You know, I just say, God, I'm not really sure how that works. I remember Howard Hendricks said one time, he loves to listen to new believers pray before we ruin them. <laughs> Think about that. He was in a Bible study with a guy that got saved, and they were going around, and he nudged the guy, why don't you pray? And the guy says, literally says something like this, says, hello, God, it's John. I'm the one I just got saved the other day, you know, Thursday over on, you know, Stevens Avenue at the Bible study. That's where I met you. It's me. <laughs> it's like, okay, I know that. But just get a sense of that. Well, I just want to say thanks and I love you. You know how precious that was to, more to God than me sitting in the office trying to figure out theologically, how should I put this? Do you know this already or do I? So, so all of those things, how you pray, you matter to God. It's valuable to him when you speak to him. All of those things that he's done. He's come for you. He wants to rescue you. You see that in the Christmas story and it plays out now as you're sitting here. Whether you've walked with Jesus for a long time and you've just kind of lost that, how valuable am I to him? Or we've got to flip that over too, don't we? How valuable is he to me? Or whether this is all new and you're still trying to figure out whether you even buy into it. You matter to him. When you hear the Christmas story, it is God telling you, you matter to him. Not just in the Christmas story, because the passage I want to take a couple minutes and just get some thoughts out of is one of Jesus' stories. They're asking Jesus, they're talking about 
Why do you treat people who are unimportant like they're so important? Why do you accept rejects? Or, or why is it that you treat these people like they matter? That's really the question that's on the table. And we've, we've been in this passage off and on a little bit this year and in Luke chapter 15. Jesus, he won't, answer that, he won't answer the question. He'll just tell a story. And that's really what Jesus is good at. Stories, when you tell a story, it kind of disarms people a little bit, doesn't it? You know, like I remember somebody said, you know, you can use humor. You can use humor and when people open their mouth to laugh, you can jam the truth in. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus would do that with story. He would draw people into a story and all of a sudden you've got this, oh yeah. So he answers the question with a story and then another story and then another story. So he's answering the question, why do people that don't matter matter? And he tells three stories. I don't know if he does that anywhere else in the New Testament. So the point that he's trying to make loudest is that everyone matters to heaven. Everyone matters in heaven. So in Luke 15, let me read these stories. They're familiar to you. He says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I was checking some different translations on that. You know, in the message, it says there were people of, of uh, disputable reputation that were with Jesus. Don't you love how he's put that? There are people you're just not sure they should be invited to the party. So that's who Jesus is with. This man receives sinners and eats for them. Not even a question. It's really an accusation. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I found the coin I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there's more, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. But not many days later, the son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. You know, it's kind of some of your stories, isn't it? Maybe not the reckless living but you had a sense, you left home, you thought, get me as far from this house as I can get. I mean, you can kind of enter into, into where the sun is on that. So he leaves. In verse 14, when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So it's not only bad, but I also think there's a threat in this. He's in a far country. He's a Jewish boy. And to the Jews, pigs were unclean animals. So it almost seems like not only are you in need, but your boss is humiliating you. So in verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And remember, the question in the air is, why do you treat everybody like they matter? And Jesus tells these three, three stories because, because they matter. And I want to, you know, he tells, he tells the story, you get the story of the shepherd, you get the story of the lost coin, and then you get the story of the lost son. And somebody has looked at this and, and put 
put these couple of thoughts together, this way of looking at it together. I really appreciate how they did that. So I want to I grab onto their, their big points and then fill it in with some of my stuff. I just want to give credit where credit is due in those situations. This is how he approaches it, that something valuable was lost to the owner. In each one of these stories, something that was valuable was lost to the owner. If, if you're a shepherd, you know, as, as scriptures will go through, the shepherds, they're not only just working a job, but shepherds, they know the sheep. Remember, Jesus would say, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And so you read on in that, and there's a book someone wrote called uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he said that, yeah, a shepherd would have their own, their own way of calling their sheep. So you could have a sheep pen filled with different flock and the shepherd could go and just call his sheep and his sheep would know which, which one was theirs and come on out and the rest of the sheep would stay in. See, a shepherd has relationship with the sheep. He has 100 sheep, he loses one. You know, if you're in business, a 1% loss, that's not too bad, really. I was talking to my brother this week, he's involved with, with uh, Spindrift, Spindrift Beverage and he does a lot of business reading and stuff, and I pick his brain and every, now and then, and there's a, something we're, d- we're uh, dealing, something we're dealing with, and papers we're signing as a church, uh, and, and I was telling him, man, it just seems like, seems like they just have to be so thorough. This is crazy, and he's telling me, you cannot believe the trillions of dollars that are lost in vendor fraud. So I just thinking of that, trillions of dollars, I lost one sheep. Okay, stupid sheep. All right, the rest of you, stay where you are. You know, he could have taken that approach. But the story is, the story that Jesus goes on, it says, no, he makes arrangements for the 99, and then he goes out in the open country. See, if we believe that the Bible is inspired word for word, then all the details are important. He goes out in the open country where things are dangerous and where the sheep could be anywhere. And he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it because it's that valuable to him. The woman with these 10 silver coins, it's not just that they've got 10 dimes. It's not just that I've got these 10 things. I've read that they probably had to do with a wedding gift that she would have gotten for her father that she would have had. So they have, they have significance to her. So one of, the, one of them gets lost, and it's not just, well, thank goodness, I got nine. I got my nine left. What does it say? She lights the lamp, she sweeps the house, and she seeks diligently until she finds it. What husband has not heard the words, I'm not going to bed until, you know, until I find it, until I finish this, until I you know, just dread that. Listen, I can't go to sleep until this, and that just lets you know nobody's going to sleep. Nobody's going to sleep until this is resolved. That's where she is. Hey, she's looking with a lamp, so either it's night, and she's staying up till she finds the coin, or it's daytime, but she's making sure she can see under the couch. How, however that goes, this thing is important to her. It's, it has value to her. It's significant, and so she's going to keep looking until she finds it. It's valuable. It's valuable, and it matters. Important that we put those two things together, because if you've had, if you had rich friends growing up, or if you have rich friends now, they can have things that are valuable, but they don't really matter to them, because they can replace them. You know, have you had friends like that, where some, something broke, and they say, oh, don't worry about it, we'll just put it over there. And you're thinking, I've been in a situation, I remember thinking, I wonder if I can get the broken one, you know? But it didn't matter to them. It didn't have value to them. In these stories, they, they, they're valuable and they matter. They're valuable and so they go after them. They value, they're valuable and so there's this search that goes on and, until they find it. There's something valuable that's been lost. And so they're going to make sure they're finding it. Jesus, he's telling a story with a point here that you are valuable and you matter to heaven, and heaven is going to chase you and keep chasing you and keep chasing you. And so some of you, some of you, you don't know much about the gospel story, and here you are. How did you end up here? It's part of heaven's chasing you. It's part of heaven's chasing you. Some of you, you'll tell your story, you'll tell your Jesus story, and it's so almost bizarre what God did to get to you because he got to you or some of the circumstances of life that were, are really sad, but you understand those were the circumstances that combine to make you aware that you're going to need Jesus. That's his searching for you and coming after you. So something valuable is lost to the owner, and it mattered, this thing that was, that was lost to them. 
in another place, they're having this conversation with Jesus in, in Mark. It says, well, Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Levi was another name for Matthew, the disciple, the tax collector. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there are many who followed him. But when the teachers of the law, who are Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. They matter to me. I've come for them. You know, those of us that wrestled so much with, I'm just too bad. I've just done too much. You know, you could have done not much, but feel like you've done too much. It doesn't really matter what you've done. It just matters how you process that. That's who Jesus came for. That's what he said in, in another place. He's, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek. That seems like a word out of, Matthew, out of Luke 15, doesn't it? I've come to seek and save. In, in Mark chapter 1, there, Jesus has this huge healing day, and the next day, more people come, of course, to be healed, and Jesus says, no, we can't stay here. I've got to get on to other towns. Why is that? Because I'm seeking people. I'm trying to make sure as many people as can can hear this message. Why? Because people are valuable to me. I've come to find them. He's come to find you because you matter to him. That's behind the Christmas story. That's behind every story Jesus tells. He's come to find you because you're valuable to him. Here's, an, here's another piece out of this story that, that this, uh, this pastor lifted out. It was so valuable that everything stopped until they found it. The shepherd makes arrangements, as we said, to, to the 99 goes after the one. The woman does whatever she needs to do, and she's hunting until she finds that because it is that important to her. Everything stops until it's found. Can you kind of wrap your mind around that? That this is the God of heaven Jesus Christ, this is him speaking, that you are that valuable, that you matter that much to him? Seeking you out, and some of your stories are you were trying to run from him. Some, some of the stories that we hear in Road to Recovery are people that grew up in homes like these, this church has. They grew up in Christian homes, and some of them were just rough, and others of them, whatever it was, they just wanted to get as far from that as they could, and and Jesus, he's just seeking, seeking them out, whether you are familiar with this or whether you are so, this is so foreign to you. He's after you until he finds you. And then here's this last piece of, of the story that Jesus tells. It was valuable enough for a huge celebration. Do you get that? Jesus tells all the details. It would have been enough, wouldn't it, for him just to have said, and they're going to seek until they find it. Okay, Jesus, I get it. He says, no, no. You also need to know that they are so valuable that when we find them, that when they come to us, we celebrate. Every one of the stories has that. It says, do you get also the person, I want you to see the personal piece, because I didn't notice that until I was just reading a second ago. In verse 5 in Luke 15, it says, the shepherd, when he's found it, when he's found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders. He lays it on his shoulders. I was thinking, you know, there are times when my dog would get lost. We grew up and we had dogs and dogs would run off. And of course, we had to go find the dog. And you went with, the, you went with those Purina dog treats to lie to the dog. It's okay. You're a good doggy. Here you go. Here's a treat. And you flick it at him, hoping that he eats it there. And maybe, maybe it'll be slow enough you can grab him. Or maybe you can throw a couple and get him to come to you. But when the dog would come to me, when I got our dog, Cinder, with one of our dogs, or Max the Beagle. Sorry, Max. Yep. Max the Beagle. Uh, we'd, when they would get them, when I would get them when they would run away, I would be so angry at that dog. Why did you run away? When did you, the dog open? What did you do that for? And I'd smack it. And you were going home now with a leash, you know? And I think that's how a lot of us perceive God. Okay, God, here I am. Well, what did you do that for? And why have you been running so long? So Jesus, if we believe all the details are on purpose, that shepherd gets that sheep and he puts it on his shoulders and takes it home. Isn't that the picture you want of, okay, God, man, I, I got a lot of stuff back here. But if you're telling me that Jesus has paid for it and wants to give me a new life and that you're going to welcome me, hey, I'll take that. I mean, that's the gospel offer that Jesus is making, that he's making here. So you get that. He, he gets it home 
It's on his shoulders, and he is happy at the end of verse 5. He's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, hey, rejoice with me. I found my, lo- my sheep that was lost. And the woman, when she finds it in verse 9, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me. I found the coin that I'd lost, that whatever was lost was so valuable that they had a huge celebration when it was found. And then, and then Jesus makes the application. I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he says about the coin, just so I tell you, there is joy in heaven. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What does that say? It says the people that don't matter really matter in heaven. And that for whatever reason, for me, I was, I think I was saying last week, I was a good kid. I was afraid to be bad for all those things, but I still did things that were wrong. But whatever that was, in 1971, when I gave my life to Jesus on that Easter Sunday, that, rep, that had repercussions up in heaven. That in heaven, somehow it was announced, Jeff Chandler has just gotten saved. And there was this ripple celebration across heaven for me. That's what the story says. And for you. The day that you say, some of you who you grew up and you were five years old and in the innocence, but, but I think a five-year-old, I think they can get it. They can get the parts of the gospel that, that they need Jesus and that Jesus wants to come into their life. They can get that. I think Joy was saved genuinely when she was five. She got it. And little Joy Chandler has come to faith in Jesus today and rep, rippled across heaven. You know, you grew up in a Christian home, you didn't even have time to do anything wrong except take your brother's stuff or whatever that was on such a small scale. Others of you, you have years and years of what God calls sin. But yet, you understand this offer that God is making to you to wipe it all away and to to make you into somebody new and give you a home in heaven forever and you accept that. And up in heaven, they announce your name. You know, whoever you are, you know, your name and nobody in heaven says, finally, there's that celebration. It just ripples across heaven, a celebration. That's in all three of Jesus' stories. So he's trying to make a point. Not only do these people matter to me, they matter up in heaven. And heaven celebrates when they get it. Tell them it celebrates when they come. Because that's how much, that's how much people matter. So then he tells this other story that we read, and it just has different twists. You know, the son chooses to leave this selfish, you know, this selfish, ungrateful, sketchy son that takes everything the father has for him. When he says, you know, give me what's mine, and he, what he wants is inheritance early. In that culture, really, you're telling the father, I wish you were dead, but I, I'm not going to wait for you to die. Just give me what's mine right now. That's really what he's saying to the father. It's a huge, it's not only a heartache that he wants to leave and he wants to get far away, but it's an incredible, it's incredibly uh, disgraceful what he's done to the father. And yet he goes through these things, you know, God puts pressure on his life and that's some of your stories. You got away and things just went from bad to worse and they went to worse and they went to worse and because God knew, I got to make things worse so you wake up. I can't bless you into repenting. And so they get worse and worse and he, he comes to his, himself, comes to his right mind, one translation says, and he says, I'm going to go home. And on his way home, he's practicing his speech and, and what he's going to say and all of those things. And it says in verse 20, and he rose and he came to his father. <clears throat> but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. See, why do you treat people like they matter? The father saw him a long way off and had compassion. That's what, he, that's what the sight of his son triggered. For some of us, holidays are complicated because you're getting together and you're getting together with family and there's stuff there and there's stuff that's not being addressed and you, you want to get together because you're family but you just wish stuff could be addressed but it's not going to be addressed and it triggers different things in you. All of this, <coughs> that what the son had done to the father, excuse me, <coughs> triggers compassion. That's part of part of the story triggers compassion and the father it says not only feels compassion but he ran and embraced him and kissed him see it's not like me with the dog it's totally different picture that jesus gives when somebody comes home the father as soon as somebody starts thinking about coming home the father is running to them he sends his son 
to them and embraces them. So valuable. Here's this huge celebration. Give them a robe, give them a ring, give them sandals, give them, let's give them a party and let's make it a good party. That's, that's how valuable people are to Jesus. People that are far from, far from church or far from God. That's the Jesus story and that's the Christmas story. That people matter, that you matter to God, that you are that valuable that he would send his son to you so that your life could be changed and you, so that you could be saved. You know you could spend eternity in heaven with God. You could know whether you're a teenager wrestling with who am I and what's my future or whether you're someone that's lived a lot of your life and wondering can things change for me? Everything could change for you because that's why, that's why Jesus has come. That, that story, that word that reverberates through this that you are worth Jesus to God. Hey, I want to I flip this one, one last time just so you see one other element because some of us are here today <clears throat> and you've got to figure out what am I going to do with Jesus? Here's the Christmas story. Like the angels say to the, to the shepherds, for to you has been born a savior. Am I going to let Jesus be my savior or just somebody in history? But, but most of us that are here, we're followers of Jesus. And so don't miss this piece of the story that the shepherd, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. The woman, she calls together her friends and her neighbors. And the father throws this huge party. Why? So they can tell people the good news. Hey, I lost a sheep and I found it. I just want you to know that. Hey, I lost my coin, you know, but I found it. Hey, my son was lost to me, but he's found himself. You need to know about that. That's really, when Jesus is saying people matter, he's saying it to us. We mattered, but he wants us not to forget other people mattered. Other people matter, and they need to know that. See, it's not just that God has allowed you to come into the kingdom, but that God has given you a role in the kingdom. And our role in the kingdom is to let people know just how good this king is and, and what he will do for us and, and what, the savior, what, the, what the savior will be. And so these, these weeks, we've walked through that. We're not working our way to God. We're just understanding he's come to us. Jesus is the life bringer and the light bringer. That's what we saw this, this first week. And, and then last week, we saw the, the outrageous Christmas message is that we spend a life alienating God and yet he's come to save us. And then today where we come to this point that you are worth Jesus to God. So, so whatever the different messages are you're getting this Christmas season, whether it's a follower of Jesus or someone that's not a follower of Jesus, Satan will lie to whoever he will entertain that. You need to embrace that you are worth Jesus to God. No matter what life has told you, you know, the way your life is run may tell you that you really don't matter much. Or no matter what's been told you by people who are in your life, you're worth Jesus to God. Maybe some of you grew up just being told you aren't worth much. Maybe that was told to you or maybe that was the message you got out of your house. You aren't worth very much. You'll never amount to anything. You can't do anything right. Why do you keep doing this to us? All of those things that are spoken to you that become hard not to embrace. That's kind of one of the things we'll be talking about in my class. So how do you break these things that we've embraced and lived with and lived under? No matter what the message of people or life has been to you, the truth of the Christmas story is that you are worth Jesus to God, whoever you are. And then the truth away from the Christmas story is how much is Jesus worth to you? Is he worth telling other people about him? Because that's what he's left us to do. Tell people about him. Tell him, come and rejoice with me. Look what God's done to me. Look what God's done for me. Or is he valuable enough that you would understand this day that you will never be good enough, you will never work hard enough to get yourself into heaven, and that that matters because you're talking about forever and ever but that Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven, just like the spoken word said, humbled himself, born at a feeding trough, went to a cross to pay for the sins of the world so that you wouldn't have to. And his offer to you is, if you will just stop trying to be good enough and accept his gift of forgiveness, and if you will just turn your life away from yourself and turn it over to him, 
that he will save you and be Lord and leader of your life. That's the Christmas reality because you matter that much to him. And he'd hate to see you walk away from that. doesn't have anything to do with Cottage Hill Church or anything else. It's just you and Jesus Christ and what you'll do with him. So let's pray together. I just keep coming back, Jesus, to that verse that you have in Romans that nobody else would do this for us. You say very, very, uh, very rarely would anyone die or no one would die for a good man, but for a righteous, no one would die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it's a Christmas story and we love it and we got manger sets set up everywhere to remind ourselves about it and all these Christmas carols we grew up singing. But the reality is that we mattered that much to you. Thank you so much that you cared about me, cared about us. For those of us that have given our lives to you, thank you that you just pursued us and pursued us until we understood it, until we surrendered to it. So I just pray over those today who are wrestling that out, who you are and who you're going to be to them. God, I just pray that they would see this unbelievable offer that you're making to them of forgiveness and life and, and forever and that they'd receive that, just you and them. And then God, just help us who are followers of you to walk in the footsteps you lay out in these stories, Lord Jesus, to just rejoice that you've done this to us and then to gather people and tell them would you bless us and because you say people are blinded and so holy spirit as we tell what you've done in our lives just lift the blinders so people can see you and your goodness in that 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 your tribe that your kingdom would grow as a result of what you've done this christmas pray you bless our Christmas celebrations. We pray safety over those who are going to be traveling. We pray that you just make it personally meaningful to us. And There's so many of our homes where there's stuff, like I said, and it's going to be awkward. And so we're just crying out to you to just step into the middle of that. And you say you're the Prince of Peace to just bring peace to those things. Show us our role in that, God, we pray. And Tuesday night, we look ahead to that and we pray you just make that a night of just celebrating you. Jesus Christ. We pray that people would take us up on all those invitations. You're so good. We just want people to know that and we want to walk and live in that. So that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.